0: good evening. If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. in our prayers one of the aspects that is important in our individual times of worship and in our corporate gatherings of worship is our prayer life and I believe that our prayers should demonstrate our our passions, what we are passionate about, what we are yearning for and what we are longing for, this is common in our day to day conversations with one another, you'll have a conversation with um Me, and if you start talking about soccer, and there was a recent soccer game, uh, not with the, like, little leagues, I don't really care, I don't have enough time to pay attention to it, but, like, uh, a national game where the United States, you know, beats the other team by, like, 6-0. I care. I'm interested. I get quite animated. I get excited. My daughter, um, when we went up to see my grandparents, I, you know, built it up for a couple of months before we got there that, when we go see Grandma and Grandpa, we're going to go to Mountie Moose, and we're going to see and get what? Donuts, right? <laughs> and every once in a while, we will be talking about donuts, and she will just randomly shout out, Moose! <laughs> and, and that's because her passion for that is evident. And as we open up this text, and as Paul tells us about his prayer life, his passions become very evident as we read. And I think his passions center around two different things. He's thankful for the testimony that these Romans have and he's thankful for also the opportunity that he looks forward to to serve them and to join with them in ministry and the opportunity that that will provide for him to be encouraged and for him to encourage them. And so as we work through this prayer, I think These are things that should be evident in our prayers. We should be demonstrating that we are passionate about people coming to the Lord Jesus Christ in saving faith. We should be passionate, and it should be evident in our prayers, that we care about serving one another. And as we serve one another, seeing them grow and mature and become more like Jesus Christ. And so as you think about the, you know, the recent passionate conversation that you had with somebody where you noticed your own blood pressure going up because you're just animated by your conversation and you're excited about what you're talking about. Or as you look back to a conversation that you had with somebody and you're like, you walked away from that conversation, and you're like, I learned something about that. Because <laughs> I didn't know that they cared that much about this topic, but I could tell by the conversation, they deeply cared. What does your prayer life, what does my prayer life, tell you and I that we are passionate about? If somebody could look into your prayer life, what would they say you care about? What would they say drives you to God's throne of mercy? That's the question that I want you to have in your in your mind as we work through this text. If you would take your Bibles, let's read. Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through verse 15. Paul has just written. He's introduced himself. He's told him, them um, that he is a bond servant and that he is a servant of Jesus Christ. And he is proclaiming the resurrection from the dead. And now as he's writing to them, these are people he's never met. These are people he has had no personal ministry with. This is what he says to them. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my Spirit and the gospel of his Son. That without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. So that you may be established, that is, that I may encourage, be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Father, we do thank you for the passion that you have (laughs) given the Apostle Paul. And we thank you that his passion and his love for these believers is evident. We thank you that their faith was lived out in such a way that people who were thousands of miles away Heard about their faith and knew that there were indeed Christians in Rome. We thank you for the heart of Paul that demonstrates a desire to minister to people, even though it appears that the ministry that he's talking about is not necessarily a ministry that would give him the spotlight, but that would allow him to just care for people and to be encouraged as he cares for them. We pray that our prayer lives would demonstrate similar passions throughout this coming year and that we would see our church grow spiritually as we care for one another in these ways in your name we pray amen <clears throat> first off you see that our passions are portrayed through our prayers i don't think you can read through this prayer and say you know paul is just kind of ho-hum through life and he's telling them you know i've heard these guys are christians and Everybody knows about it, and I'd really like to come visit you and, you know, maybe tell you a sermon or two and then get an honorarium. That's not the idea that he's communicating here. There's far more love and care and love for God and for the ministry that has been set before him. And so as he opens up, the first thing he says is that our love, the first thing we can learn from this is that our love leads to thanksgiving. As you look at verse 7 First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all That your faith is spoken of Throughout the whole world Paul begins joyfully By proclaiming his thankfulness For the Romans And why specifically is he Thankful for them His joy is centered in their evident faith That is broadly spoken of What is amazing That Some degree I mean some of it is probably attributed to the fact that this is the center of the Roman Empire and You know like It's kind of contrary to who Nero is that there are Christians there and that they are continuing to worship the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of the persecution that they were facing and that their fellow Christians were facing around the Empire but he says, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And he's rejoicing in this fact. That they are known for who they serve. That is, Jesus Christ. His greatest passion then is for these unknown believers. Will leads to praise for God's grace in their lives. <coughs> so he, he looks, he hears about this. And the result is joy. He hears about people's faith, and the result is he goes to God's throne, and he rejoices that more people have come to Christ. He rejoices in this, and he doesn't even know them. It's interesting. There are some letters where Paul writes, and he's writing to somebody in specific Or even a church. And as he's writing to the church, he specifically tells them, you know, this is your pastor. And he greets them at the beginning of the letter. Now, Paul is going to mention people specifically towards the end of the book of Romans. But here he's not doing that. He hasn't met them. But he's including the whole church in Rome. And he says, I have heard that you guys pursue jesus christ that you have placed your faith in him and in that i rejoice and i am thankful for you why because paul's whole life is gripped by is encircled by and driven by the gospel of jesus christ that the world is lost in sin that they have fallen And that there is no means by which they could be reconciled to God. Their sin separates them from God. And Paul says, you who are afar off have been brought near. You've been brought to Christ. You've received Christ. And your faith is growing in such a way that people are talking about it. And he says, I rejoice in that. It demonstrates Paul's heart it demonstrates Paul's passion and does our prayer life demonstrate a similar <laughs> passion our love for one another should result in praise and thanksgiving for one another not simply because somebody's here warming the seat though it's, it's very nice to have people here the church is meant to gather corporately And for the church not to gather corporately is to not follow the biblical patterns and the biblical norms of how a church functions biblically. And so, that is immensely important, but specifically what he's thankful for is the fact that their faith is made evident by their lifestyle. How often, when we go before God in our prayer life, do we thank the Lord We see evidences of faithful obedience And faith in Christ In our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ At Emmanuel Baptist Church Our passion Does it demonstrate the passion and the love that Paul has His love and his passion is centered in the gospel And as he sees the gospel message spreading even though he has nothing to do with it. And it doesn't affect you know his popularity because he's not involved in that work. He looks at that and he goes, Christ's name is being furthered. Christ is known because of this. And in this, I rejoice and I thank God for you. You may have squabbles with people at church. You may not like this specific thing that they do. Maybe they, you know, get their pen out and they click it one too many times. Every time they write a new note, they have to click their pen. And you sit behind them and that just drives you nuts. Or, you know, whatever else somebody might do that would possibly annoy you. But what Paul says is, I rejoice in this and I find something to be thankful for. Why? Because it demonstrates the gospel message. What my life is dedicated to is going forward. Is our passion summarized in similar terms? Are we thankful that people are demonstrating obedience and faithfulness which portrays the world that watches? This person believes in Jesus Christ. Our passions as we come before the Lord in worship need to be checked. What are we consumed by? What are we excited about? If you were to summarize your prayer life as you wrote to somebody is this how you would summarize your prayer life? Is this how I would summarize my prayer life? I think all too often we'd have to say no, my prayer life is summarized by making a lot of requests acknowledging various aspects of God (coughs) confessing sin these are all good things but Paul's whole gospel or Paul's whole epistle here is just completely gospel saturated over and over again he's going to come back to the gospel message and I think that ties in with this next idea Paul moves forward and he says our love desires service look at verse 9 and following for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit and <clears throat> in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making a request, if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, bond both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruits among you. Also, just as among the other Gentiles, I am a debtor both <coughs> the Greeks and the barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. He begins and he says, my ambition is serving the king. And he moves on from there and he says that he has been planning to visit and he wants to serve the church at Rome see that in verse 10 making a request that by some means now at last they may find a way in the will of god to come to you he wants to serve he wants to care for them and he's going to move on very quickly and he tells them exactly what he's going to do in his service in his service he anticipates the opportunity to impart a spiritual gift uh, in our in our culture and especially our church culture is Permeated with this idea of spiritual gifts So much so that We immediately see this term spiritual gift And we're like Whoa, which one of the spiritual gifts Is Paul going to give them From 1 Corinthians Or from Romans chapter 12 Or one of these other passages Is he going to give them the gift of service? Is he going to give them the gift of, of charity? Of, of love? Is he going to give them the gift of you know Something else? But I think that all misses the point. I don't think that's what he's saying he's going to impart to them. Why do I say that? Well, as you continue to read, it becomes clear that there's something greater that Paul believes he shares with the Romans. And I think that's what he's going to impart to them. It's not a physical gift, something that will allow them to serve in the local church To a greater degree because now they have the ability To preach and they didn't have that You know three months ago before he came to visit It's not because he gave them The ability to demonstrate charity And to love people better Than they did three months ago No I think what he's talking about Is The gift is a retelling of the Gospel and its implications Look with me At verse 12 That is He's just told them, I'm going to impart to you a spiritual gift so that you may be established. And then he's going to clarify. He's going to explain to us what he means. That is that I may be encouraged together with you by what? By the mutual faith, both of you and me. What's the mutual faith? The mutual faith has to be the gospel message and the implications that connect to it. And I think that's why Paul... As he writes to them, immediately then moves into what? Just gospel, 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 all the way through the rest of the chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven, chapter eight, chapter nine, chapter ten, chapter eleven, and then finally verse chapter twelve. What does he do? He transitions and he says, "Okay, implications for how you live your life from here on out, based on what? Based on the gospel." the spiritual gift that he's going to remind them of (coughs) is the gospel. It's not really anything new. It's what they've had all along. But he's going to come back, and he's he's going to come, not come back. He's going to come, and he's going to remind them this is the gospel message. This is what grounds us in our Christian faith. This is what demands that we live drastically different from the rest of the world around us. And that's why in chapter 12 he gets there and he says, looking back on everything else we've seen, the fact that you have been justified, the fact that you have been forgiven your sins, don't be trans don't be conformed, or rather, be transformed. And then he moves on from there and he says, This is what transformation looks like. And he's saying, When I come and I do that, and we have these personal conversations centered around the gospel message, I'm going to encourage you and your life will be transformed. Why? Because we're having personal conversations that center around the most important message in the entire world. And as I have those conversations with you, and you and I interact about these, what's going to happen? Not simply are you going to be encouraged and strengthened and established in this message, but I also will be encouraged and strengthened and challenged in my Christian walk. Why? Because that's how the Christian life works. That's what he's getting at. He's saying... For the Christian to live and to grow and to truly be blessed by God, he must be involved in mutual service. And the service really centers around the gospel message of Jesus Christ. As we mutually share it and remind one another throughout the trials of our lives, this is the gospel. This is the hope that is laid up for us. This is not all there is here in this world. I've been rereading a chapter from a book. We're going to more than likely corporately at some point go through that book this year. Because it's um, shaping much of what I'm intending to do this coming year. Um, But it'll probably be later in the year. Um, It's talking about a, a paradigm shift. You've probably felt this at least in times, or maybe you've seen it, but in the, in the past, typically ministry works like this, and it's easy for us to get caught up in this. Um, we ask somebody to move to a position. Why? What? Because there's a need there. Is that a reasonable assumption? Yeah, that typically happens. Uh, if there's a need in a ministry, people ask to be moved to that ministry. Which then typically opens up another ministry, and then we have to move somebody into there. This is natural. It's not necessarily bad. But what happens when there are no immediate ministries that the pastor is looking to fulfill? And you come into the church and you say, I want to minister in Emmanuel Baptist Church. How can I minister? We're typically like, well, you know... You could do nursery, or you could do children's church, or you could do this, or you could do that. But we think of positions of service, positions of ministry as things that you actually do that are visible within the local church. And the book puts forward that ministry is actually you getting together with people that are in a different place than you are spiritually, and coming alongside them, reading scripture together together. Praying with them and encouraging them as someone who is slightly further along on the path of Christ likeness. And I think that's what Paul is describing here. And as Paul looks at that, he doesn't say, I'm looking forward to, you know, serving on this, you know, great evangelistic campaign or, you know, teaching a discipleship seminar for the entire church. They probably did similar things. The very nature of the conversation and the text that he gives us in verse 12 tells us that there is a far more personal relationship that he's thinking about having with these people than simply corporately telling them what to do and then going back to his house and enjoying a latte. That's not what he has in mind here. He's thinking more of going to a coffee shop with them, sitting down and having a conversation that leads them both to a place where they're more mature, more grounded in the faith, the retelling of the gospel and its implications is, then I think, the greatest ministry that any of us can be involved in. It's not about Sunday school teaching. Though Sunday school teaching is great, I, I, I teach a Sunday school class. Okay, not against Sunday school class teaching. Really, I think that the greatest ministry that you and I can be involved with with one another is. The personal ministry of coming alongside somebody, seeing where they are, and then helping them to grow and mature and become more like Christ. What you're doing is then discipleship. You're bringing somebody along. That is the command that you and I are given in Matthew 28. We're all supposed to make disciples. Even if we never go 20 miles out from Emmanuel Baptist Church, it's your responsibility is my responsibility to be making disciples. And that is Paul's heartbeat as he prays. As you go before the Lord in your times of prayer, is this the message, is this the passion that dominates your prayer life? Is this the passion that dominates my prayer life? Or are my concerns dominated by other fleeting, passing things that are in this world. Paul's passion, Paul's desire is that he would have the opportunity to minister to people one-on-one and share with them the hope that is in the gospel. Not just for eternal life. The hope is far greater than that. The hope includes the ability for them to live a righteous life and not submit to sin On a regular basis. This kind of mutual ministry serves to encourage and challenge both parties, then. Paul wants to have ministry fruit among all people. If you remember, Paul has not been sent to the Jews. That's done. He's now sent to the Gentiles. And he says in verse 14 I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Isn't that interesting? He's writing to Christians. What does he tell them he's going to do? Preach the gospel! You're like, we already got that! Right? Why is he preaching the gospel again? That's because the gospel is what empowers us to live every day in a way that is honoring and glorifying to Christ. Your passion and my passion in our prayer life... Must be centered around thankfulness For the demonstrations of faith that we see in our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ Your passion and my passion Must be centered around The opportunities that we have to disciple one another And to share with them the spiritual gift And it's not the ability for them to go and serve Or to get up here and preach although if, if That's the end result that there's another preacher right but that's not necessarily the goal that Paul has in mind the goal is to remind them of the gospel and its implications look with me in verse 16 and 17 where is Paul going to go right after this for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greeks for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith. You see how he ties in the gospel right away? The spiritual gift, I think, is summarized in verses 16 and 17. The spiritual gift is the gospel and its implications. And that's what he's going to spend the rest of the book outlining for them. And when he gets there, guess what he's going to do again? He's going to pick up this outline and he's going to be like, all right, let's go over this again, guys. Why? Why? Because what he's looking forward to do is what? Preach the gospel. What are you passionate about in your prayer life? Are you passionate about the faith that you see in your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Does the faith that you see in one another does it lead us to thankfulness to God? Does it cause us to go before God's throne and say, you know, as I was having this conversation with so-and-so God, I heard them say this, or I heard them describe the situation that they went through. And as they described that situation, it reminded me that they are indeed in the faith. And only you could transfer somebody from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Thank you for your demonstration of your power. Is your prayer life centered around this driving purpose to proclaim to one another and to, so through, encourage one another in their Christian life? That is Paul's passion as he prays. Is that our passion? Our passion will be evident in our prayer life. Our passion should demonstrate genuine love and thankfulness for one another hopefully you've spent time today conversing with people and as you've had those conversations hopefully you've had opportunities to be reminded of each other's faith as you've been reminded of each other's faith and each other's obedience has that led you to God's throne Thank him for the work that he's doing in your brother and sister in Christ. Our passion should demonstrate a desire to serve and be served. As we see Paul's heartbeat, and as we hear about and see the needs that are on each other's faces and through each other's words. Does it lead you to the desire to (laughs) serve and to minister one-on-one with people? Pointing them, reminding them once again of the gospel and its implications for every day. I would encourage you to think through your day. And if you don't have somebody that you can say, you know, through a conversation that I've had today, I can go home and thank God for this demonstration of their faith. If you can't go home today and say, through a conversation I've had with so-and-so, I know where I at least need to be praying for them. Or maybe I need to actually take the next step and seek to encourage them and strengthen them through meeting once a month, once a week, and reading a chapter of Scripture together and praying with them. If that hasn't happened yet in your time of fellowship, at the body of Christ has gathered maybe you shouldn't leave yet maybe you should stay some longer and talk and find out how you can better yourself for this coming week so that you can pray more effectively and worship your God better through your prayer life this week Father we do thank you for your goodness to us we thank you for the part that you have demonstrated in the Apostle Paul we thank you that we can look and we can see each other and we can see demonstrations of your faithfulness to us and also each other's faithfulness to you. We thank you that our church has demonstrated um, through time of conversation with one another and the willingness to spend time in conversation with people that people are in the faith. That people do have a genuine love you and they have a desire to serve one another We realize that many people have various needs many people are discouraged many people are struggling with various sin issues in our church we pray that as we interact with one another that we would be honest not for the sake of uh, talking about sin simply but to seek to encourage one another and to find help in the gospel we pray that we would have a desire And that our passions would be in alignment with your passions and with the Apostle Paul's passions. In your name we pray. Amen.